Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. All right. Hey, good good morning, everyone. We're starting before the noon hour. I'm glad for that. That'll give us a little bit of time, but um, I hope to end a little different today than we normally do, and I'm going to let you find out what that is in just a moment. But let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 100. It's the psalm we read at the beginning of the service, and let's take a look there. This uh, this week, um, there's a national celebration. Anybody know what it is? All right, good, good. We're all on the same page. It's Thanksgiving, and we get to stuff ourselves and watch football if you like to and uh, argue with your family. So you can do all of those things if you like. But uh, or, or we could use it for something better than that, and that's to give thanks. Yeah, you can take naps and uh, eat to your heart's content and enjoy the blessings that God's given you. But if... Uh, if Thanksgiving is just about those things, if it's been degraded to Turkey Day, then something's lost. You understand that if it's just Turkey Day and it's not more than that, it's lost. If that's all that it is for us, then we're the ones who are the turkeys. Um, I know that Thanksgiving, it's not a biblical holy day. Like We're not prescribed in the Bible that we have to celebrate Thanksgiving on the last Thursday in November. Uh, that's something that is kind of an American tradition. Uh, but since there is a holiday coming up that has to do with Thanksgiving, why not as Christians turn our hearts toward God and say thanks and let this be a spark into something better, this great spark uh, to remember that we owe all of our blessings to God. And just as Ray Charles saying, why can't the spirit of Christmas remain all through the year? It's worth asking, why can't Thanksgiving remain all through the year? We ought to be people who are thankful for what God's given us. We, we know the ought of it. Um, it's fun to have a holiday to remind ourselves with special feasting and getting together and, and making a big day of it, um, of, of the goodness of God. But let it go beyond that. And I have to confess to you, you may already feel a little dreary at the fact that there's a thanks, another Thanksgiving sermon. Uh, I have to confess to you that these are, this is one of the dreariest sermons for me to have to listen to. And so I can sympathize with you because we all know we ought to be thankful, but thankfulness goes beyond a behavioral thing. It needs to, it needs to be something that is part of our attitudes. And, and that's not, not something that you can necessarily command. It's something that, that we, through uh, growing knowledge of what God's done for us and proper response, we develop gratitude in our hearts for what God's done. And so uh, <laughs> I remember... Um, that this, uh, this kind of attitude is hard to compel. The, bre- the best preacher I ever heard, in, in my opinion, was our college president. And, man, he would preach these messages that would be meaty and they would be powerful. And you'd, you'd sense the spirit was in them. And you'd go, away, you'd go away transformed. And it transformed who I was. But probably, <laughs> probably the sermon that I least appreciated from him as being less than spectacular was the, the sermon that he preached on the... I think it was the chapel before we all got dismissed to Thanksgiving break, and it was a Thanksgiving sermon. And, and so I want to let you know that these are not my favorite kinds of sermons to preach. Uh, we ought to be thankful, and we know we ought to be thankful, but it's not always, we're not always inspired to be thankful. And so I thought instead of talking about just the command to, to give thanks to God, that we would look at it as the way in which God would like us to come into his presence, we would be inspired to praise because this is the way uh, God desires for us to enter into his presence. And that's uh, this psalm, Psalm 100, and uh, it tells us the reasons why. And so here, uh, this is a hymn of praise to Yahweh. It's used in worship in the temple as people would come to, to worship the Lord. They would, um, they would sing this song. And, uh, and uh, come into his presence with thanksgiving. Uh, some believe that the first three verses were sung by pilgrims when they approached the temple. So let's read it, and then we'll, we'll think about this. Verse 1, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord 
is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So some people believe that when, when it was time to come into the temple for certain Thanksgiving offerings, they didn't have a day of Thanksgiving like we do, but they would have times where they would come before the Lord as a nation in giving thanks. And the value of that holiday is that it forces us to all get on the same page and do the same thing. Okay, so they would go and they would sing. Some scholars think they would sing as they came. The people would sing these first three verses. And in reply to that, that the priests were inside the temple singing back to those who were coming in these last two verses. And notice what they are. It ends with, we are the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I don't know if you remember the days when he used to sing songs in the round. Anybody remember that where there was an echo? And what's one of those songs, Zach? Can you think of it? No. <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> rejoice of the Lord always. <laughs> Zach said row, row, row your boat in case you didn't hear that. Um, I will worship is another one. Uh, what was the other one that was mentioned over here? Rejoice in the Lord always. And so you'd have like the men start and then the ladies would follow. And uh, it was kind of a cool thing. And there was this back and forth kind of thing. And maybe that's what took place as this psalm was sung, that there was the people crying out to the Lord and, and coming with their joyful noise. And there were the priests responding back to them. Yes, when you come in, come in to the Lord's presence with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise and and know that the Lord, you know, know that the Lord is God. He's good and his love endures forever. And so there was the thought that this would uh, be the way that people should approach the Lord. And so um, we know that in the Hebrew, the title of this psalm is, it gives kind of a, a theme to the whole thing, is a psalm for thank offering, a psalm for thank offering. And I'd like you to notice some things here as we, we take a look at this. I'd like you to notice, first of all, that uh, the attitude of response that people give. Let me back up just a moment and suggest to you that Thanksgiving is not us first saying something to God, but it's us responding to Him. Okay, God has already spoken. He's already acted. He's already done what is good for us. And so when we praise Him, we never get out ahead of Him like we're running ahead and saying, Lord, I'm going to praise you. I hope your goodness can catch up to that. It's never that. It's always God's goodness precedes our praise, and our praise is a response to his goodness. It's like when you're a little uh, kid and somebody gives you a gift and you say, thank you for that, because it's a response to something that's already been given. Hopefully, you still do that as adults, say thanks. And uh, Let me take this moment to say thank you to all you who are gracious to us during pastor appreciation. We are really, really grateful. Um, but uh, it's a response to what God has already done. And so I, I want to point that out. But notice this first thing is the attitude of response is joy, is joy. Notice that. Shout for joy, verse 1. If you just put your finger right there on joy, verse 1. If you're in the NIV, I'm reading from the NIV, okay? And then look down to verse 2, worship the Lord with gladness. Put your finger on gladness for just a moment, okay? And then notice at the next part of verse 2, it's broken into two lines. The next part of verse 2 is come before him with joyful songs. So these are, these are the proper attitude that we bring to the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. The King James Version here has make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. The New English Translation, shout out praises to God. The New Jerusalem Bible has acclaim Yahweh all the earth. Acclaim Yahweh. Lexham English Bible says, shout in triumph to Yahweh all the earth. Sometimes this word for shout in verse 1, notice uh, verse 1 here again. It says, shout for joy to the Lord. This word for shout here, shout for joy, is actually all one word in the Hebrew. And uh, sometimes used for the shout of triumph that goes up before a battle, like they're, they're 
expecting victory in this battle, and so there's a triumphal shout, right? Everybody's seen the war movies where they're getting ready to run out to battle, and there's this shout, like, we're going out, and we're going to be victorious in this battle. Well, then it's also used of a shout that rings up after battle. So after the battle has taken place and there's victory, there's a shout of triumph that takes place. And so that's probably why uh, Lexham's in particular says shout in triumph to Yahweh. Uh, it also means, it can also mean a joyful exclamation in response to God. New Jerusalem Bible has acclaim Yahweh. I don't know that we in uh, American English often use the word acclaim. Maybe we talk about critical acclaim, but it's kind of lost some of its significance. The Oxford English Dictionary says that acclaim means to praise enthusiastically and publicly. Okay, so what God is asking us to do in coming into his presence is that we would we would create a noise with our lives that acclaim his greatness publicly. Folks, I want to suggest to you that church at times can be a solemn place and a quiet place, but it ought not always be that way. There's a time for a noise to rise among God's people. There's a time for us to express the gratitude that's within us and that we not sit back latently and say, well, I'm praising in my heart. There's a time to get out beyond that. Come on, say amen to that. This is the time because that's us doing it. We're claiming God is worthy of our praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. So notice that, that this is the attitude of response is one of joyful praise, of gladness, of joyful songs. It's the right response to what God has done. It's thanksgiving, as we see in verse 4, and, uh, and praised him, thanksgiving and praise. We, we enter his courts with thanksgiving, uh, we enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Notice it says here, all the earth. I think that's interesting because the focus of this really is on the covenant people of God. And, and who's the covenant people of God? If you're a believing in Christ, that's you. Okay, You're the covenant people of God. God's called you into a covenant relationship with himself where he's saying of us, I will be their God and they will be my people. So that's you and that's me. We're the covenant people of God. But here it's interesting because this call to worship goes out to all the earth. Now, this precedes a lot of supposed Old Testament theology. We think in the Old Testament, God's focused just on Israel. But if you look a little closer, you find that from the very beginning, the whole desire is to bring all, to bring blessing to all of mankind, all of humankind, whether Jew or Gentile. Remember God's promise to Abraham, through your seed, the Jewish nation shall be blessed? No, all the nations will be blessed. So it's going to be something that is for all people. He calls out to all people. I love that in this church, we have a microcosm of, of, of international worship. You understand what I mean by that? That there are people from all nations gathering here. Not every nation is represented, obviously. But we're gathered here, and we're worshiping one God. And I think it's a picture of God's desire, even here in this psalm, as he's calling all nations. Now, not everybody responds. We understand. There are people from every tongue and tribe and nation who have responded. There are those who will refuse to worship him. But it's a call to all to come and worship God. All the earth means the peoples of the earth. And if you get less excited about this kind of call, um, because this is an invitation to everybody, uh, and not only to you, remember some things. You know, like when you, you hear that you've been invited to something, and then you hear a lot of other people have been invited, you thought you were special because you got the invitation, then you realize a lot of people got the invitation. Uh, sometimes we can feel that that's been diminished. And if uh, we're tempted to think that thing, I would, I would like to remind us of some things. First of all, remember that while it's an invitation to everyone, you're the only one that can offer your portion of praise. Okay? Do you understand what I mean by that? Like, there's a particular slot. Like, if there's a four-part harmony and there's only three voices, something's missing. And if God's called everybody to worship and you're not worshiping, something's missing. In the worship, he's called us all to be a part of that. I like you remember something else is that remember that this really isn't about us. When we worship God, it's really not about us. 
I used to get mad when I was a young Christian because they didn't sing the songs I liked. They're in worship. Why aren't they singing the songs I want to sing? Don't they know those are the songs that are really anointed? That those will really bring people into God's presence? And so uh, they didn't sing them, and they sang other songs. And I didn't like that so much. And I, I learned as I got a little bit more mature in the Lord, I need to get over myself and worship the Lord. Yes, there are songs that I like more and songs that I like less. But, but that's not really the point. The point is, it's about Him. Amen? All right, and then third, I'd like to remind us that this is less of an invitation and more of an instruction. Okay, when he says, shout for joy uh, to the Lord, all the earth, it's uh, known as an imperative, which means this is a command. I know that doesn't really feel great to say, oh, we're commanded to worship, so we have to do it. We feel because we've come through a period of... uh, Western philosophy that's known as romanticism, that unless it's spontaneous, unless we're feeling it, it can't be real. And I want to tell you that that's not true. We decide by our vote and by what we do who we're going to be. Are you going to be a worshiper or not? If we wait around till we feel like it, we might feel like it Tuesday afternoon and nobody else is there to worship with us. Thank God, worship on Tuesday afternoon. But if you don't feel like it on Sunday morning, worship anyway. Because what's true of God on Tuesday afternoon is true of God the Sunday preceding that or following that. And so we need to be worshipers in that way. Worship the Lord, all the earth. Notice it says here, worship with gladness. The ESV says, serve the Lord with gladness. Uh, New American Standard, serve the Lord with jubilation. New English translation, worship the Lord with joy. Worship the Lord with joy. Um, this is a call, and there's a reason for this, is that the proper response when we really acknowledge what God has done ought to be one of joy and not of sorrow. Come before Him with joyful songs. NAS says rejoicing. Um, Lexham English Bible with exultation. Revised English Bible, joyful songs. Bible for everyone, resounding with resounding. And good news for Good News Bible. Uh, is come before him with happy songs, okay? Do you know there's a time to sing laments to the Lord? There's a time for that. There's a time for every season under heaven, right? Anybody read Ecclesiastes? That wasn't a, a hippie song in the 60s first. It first was a song that came out of Ecclesiastes, a time for every season under heaven. And so there's a time for lament, but there's the proper time for joyful song. And we need to worship Him with joy, with joyful, happy songs because of what God has done. So He asks us to respond in a particular way with joyful songs. I'd like you to notice, second, the reason for thanksgiving. Notice the reason for thanksgiving. And this is, um, this is conviction, that we have certain convictions. As we look at this, it says... And verse 3, the first part, know that the Lord is God. Know that the Lord is God. What a, what a strange thing to say. Know that the Lord is God. And again, this comes in an imperative voice, which means it's not, it's not asking us, it's not inviting us to a certain knowledge. It's saying that we ought to recognize that the Lord is God. Like some English Bible, know that Yahweh, He is God. Uh, Revised English Bible, acknowledge that the Lord is God. New Jerusalem Bible, be sure that Yahweh is God. The verb here means to recognize or confess. It's translated in some languages as say yes in your heart to the fact that the Lord is God. Now, I know that that sounds a little bit redundant, like what is the point? Uh, Or it could be put this word in your mouth, the Lord is God. What's the significance of that? Um, well, Yahweh is God is the fundamental creed of the Hebrew faith, and it's truly our, our creed as well. It doesn't seem significant when you think about Lord and God both as titles. But when you step back and take a look at this, if you look at uh, verse 3 again, look at what it says here in verse 3, know that the Lord is God. Do you see the word Lord there is all capitals, right? In your translation, if, if it's not all capitals, you may have the King James Version but it's the same word that stands behind that. But in the newer translations, they capitalize 
the word Lord all the way through when it's referring to the personal name of God, Yahweh. So the point of this is, is that Yahweh is God. Not that God is God. We know that already. But that Yahweh, the God who's made himself known to you, he's God. So that's significant because it tells us a little bit more about who he is. Uh, When you realize this is the first name and the second is a title, then you have Yahweh is God or our God, that is Yahweh, is the one true God. So in this, we have both a positive and a negative confession. Yahweh is God, and the others who promise are liars. In other words, they cannot deliver. And that's the point. This is recognition that the one we know is God is God, and there is no other. Okay? Okay, that's the point that's trying to be made here, is that know that your God is God. Israel lived in a day where there are a lot of competitive gods. So when you went to war with another nation, the claim was their God was superior to your God, and so they're going to win the battle. And so everybody was in some kind of a competition. But a lot of other nations had the idea that there were a lot of gods out there, and they were localized to wherever people lived. And uh, Hebrew religion, Jewish religion, our Christian religion, taught that teaches that there's one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we're not worshiping many gods. There are not competitive gods out there. Now, there are other gods out there, but Paul says there are no gods at all. In other words, they're uh, dominions, things that we enslave ourselves to. They're backed by demonic forces, but they're not real gods in the sense that God is God. Is that confusing? I don't want it to be. I want us to understand that God alone is the one that claims and commands our loyalty and allegiance. So the other things that are out there, they're liars. They cannot deliver on their promises. There are gods of our day are tend to be less um, like competitive in the, the sense that it's another personality out there. It's usually other things that compete with our allegiance to him. You know, you can make a God out of anything. A God is anything that you love and worship more than him. Do you know that? Anything you love and worship more than God, anything you serve more than him is a God. And so there's still a competition among the deities, but when it comes down to it, there's really no competition at all. Only one God can deliver. It's Yahweh. That's the point of this. He has made himself known in the Old Testament by Yahweh and further expressed himself in the coming of Jesus, who's made God known to us in the fullest degree. And so here's where gratitude begins. If we don't understand Yahweh as God, if we don't understand him for who he is, and we start to let ourselves be unthankful, it's the degrading of our souls. I don't know if you remember Romans chapter 1, but it talks about the degradation of humanity as people turned away from the knowledge of God. It says, though they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. And then it says something else. What does it say? Neither were they thankful. Thanksgiving, uh, a lack of it, a lack of gratitude, shows a sickness of the soul. And it causes us to degrade and fall away from who God is. And so where gratitude begins is the recognition that the Lord is God. It happens uh, with the recognition in the heart about who he is, if If he had not done certain things in our lives, we would not be blessed. We would not be so good. Notice it says in the next verse, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his. It is he who made us and we are his. And so here begins the recognition of some great truths. And the first one is this, that the Lord is the maker. The Lord is the maker. Look at uh, 3A here. It says, it is he who made us. And if you have the uh, NAS or the King James, it'll say, and not we ourselves. And then it goes on to talk about how we belong to him. Now, there are differences of opinions among the experts as to whether he made us refers to creation or redemption. And you can almost split it. But I, I want to suggest to you that it doesn't matter. It's not the point. It's not specified here. Does he who made us mean that God is the one who created us? Certainly it goes back to that. But he also made us as a people. 
So that includes redemption. Um, I would encourage you in, in terms of he who made us that one of the the fundamental things that comes from believing in spontaneous, mindless, unguided process of evolution is that it takes us away from thankfulness to God. Do you understand what I mean by that? If we, we weren't the result of God's creation, I'm not ready to argue here today about whether it was six-day creation or six ages of creation. Uh, to me, that's a less important point than this, that God created. Are you with me? He created, and he could have done it through six-day process. He could have done it through six ages. Uh, whatever way he chose to create, he created, and it goes back to him. We're not saved by our theory of creation. We're saved by belief in Jesus Christ. Come on. It's true. And so we understand he could have created six days. He could have created through ages. And I'm trying to push that point aside and say to you, the more important point is that he created us and that we need to understand we owe it all to him. And then in a certain period of time, there was a fall that took place, and that fall led people away. They marred the image of God. In creation, we got the image of God placed upon us. He made us as part of his special, unique creation. He's given us the abilities. It says in the Bible that he created them in the image of God, male and female. He created them. And so we have a unique mark upon us, superior to the animals, okay? Anybody that says humanity is just another animal, I think in one sense uh, humanity is like the animals, but in another sense we're set apart. Do you understand what I mean by that? That we have biological life like the brute beasts, but God has set a special mark upon us and given us a unique relationship to him that the animal life doesn't have. And so we're not degraded into the same existence as animals. When, when Jesus talks about how valuable we are, he says we're worth more than many birds. Are you with me? If it were, I mean, it's kind of funny to think about. You're worth many birds. It's good to know. Um, but the point is, when we cut that off and we say God didn't create us, we cut off also all accountability to him. And so it's no wonder and there's no surprise as we come to it that the enemy would use such a tactic to try to disconnect us from accountability to God. Okay? So um, whether we can observe one thing or another in creation is not the point. How did creation come to be about? I would also challenge us. This is just a small point. I'll move on quickly. Be careful about believing in the multiverse because all the multiverse is is the evolutionist um, way of trying to give some more options about how this could have evolved the way that it did. That there's just multiverses, and if there's so many, then one of them's likely to exist in the way that we have. And it's a way of kind of shoving off the design, that design is actually given by an intelligent designer. I would encourage you to be careful about that. It's coming to us even through our comic movies now. I don't know if you noticed that, but uh, there is stuff like that that's coming down to us. Be careful about that. We owe our existence to God. But then once we were marred in our connection to God, he came and he redeemed us. And I'm thinking that maybe in this particular passage, this is what the psalmist has in mind, that he made us as a people. He took... uh, and, and this is used, he made us, is used both ways in the Old Testament, both of creation and of redemption. You can see it as you look at the passages where it's used, that at times it's used of redemption, where he made us as a people. He called us out, he delivered us, he redeemed the Israelites from Egypt, and he set them up as a people that were unique to his name. And he's done the same thing for us. He's made us who we are. It can be um, made in the gamut of creating, or it can be made in the, the sense of being redeemed, but we are his people. So I think this is one of those areas where we need to understand he made us is very important. As I was writing this, you know, it sounded a little impersonal to say the Lord is the creator God or the redeemer God, and uh to, to understand now that it's Yahweh who's made us. Four times in these five verses, um, the, psalm, the psalmist used the personal name of God, and this tells me 
this is a very personal psalm in which he's claiming not only to have created us, but to have made us. Um, he's not an impersonal force. He's not something remote. He's not an abstraction. He's the one to whom we owe our existence as humans, and he's the one to whom we owe our salvation as those who are redeemed. Okay, So you understand when it says he made us, he not only uh, gave us origin, but he also brings us into the covenant. And uh, for that, we ought to be grateful. And he's personal into it. He made us, and we are his. Um, he made us can des- describe one of the fumbling points of gratitude if we have the idea that we made ourselves. And uh, there are some alternative readings which include this phrase, he made us and not we ourselves. You've heard the the phrase before, the self-made man. Anybody heard that? Okay, the self-made man. This is somebody uh, who has clawed and climbed their way upward socially or financially. They maybe they weren't born with old money. They didn't have an inheritance, and uh, maybe they weren't part of the in crowd. But somehow they got there, and they owe their they owe their success not to anyone else, but to themselves in their mind. You know they they feel that they they made themselves completely. But can we ever say that we made ourselves completely? You know, uh, as Americans, we struggle with the idea of gratitude, I think, as a whole. And one of the reasons is that we, we uh, value uh, self-sufficiency. We want people to be self-sufficient. And there's a sense in which that's a valuable trait. But if it's taken to an extreme measure we can actually push God out of the picture and think that we're the ones that are totally in control of all of this. And then that turns worship on its head. We start to worship self rather than God. When we say we're self-made, do you realize we didn't choose to be born? Did you choose to be born? Because if you did, that's incredible. You didn't choose to be born. You didn't choose where you would be born or your intellectual potential. You might have taken everything that you could and done something with what God's given you. You made the most of your opportunities, but you didn't give yourself your intellectual potential. We relied on our parents for nurture. No baby raised themselves. In fact, they're finding that babies that don't have human touch, they often get sick and die. That we need the nurture of others to bring us out of that infant stage, and we need it all the way through. And I would suggest to you one of the things that we still need as we get older in life, we still need encouragement. We need each other. But a lot of times we think we, we don't. You see, babies can get sick and die without human touch. They need to be fed. They need to be cleaned by somebody. Uh, you got a smelly baby, clean that baby. Uh, we are taught language that we didn't invent. We come into a world that was here before we were, into systems that existed before we did, breathing air that we didn't create, eating food that we didn't make. The source of all good things goes back to our Creator and our Redeemer. See, Ezekiel talks about self-made people, and he prophesies against Pharaoh, who thought of himself as a self-made man. And God said, he'll, he'll, I'll show him. I'll show him. And so we want to be careful that we don't think of ourselves as having created ourselves. He made us. He made us. And so we're His people and the sheep of his pasture. And this suggests uh, a little bit more to us that uh, he cares for us. You know, when God made us, we have significance, we have purpose, we have hope. Um, Without that, we're we're devalued, we're alienated, we're robbed of hope. Because do you know that not only do we die and our bodies decay as we get older. You might be on the rise right now, like if you're less than 18, you might be on your rise. But there's a day coming when you're going to start to decay. In fact, truth is, once you're born, you're already start, you're into decay. Sorry, that's bleak. Here's something else that's bleak on this Thanksgiving week. The universe is running down. The energy of the sun is burning out. It won't happen probably in our lifetime. But there is decay, and if God doesn't intervene, this thing will not go on forever. And if there is no God, then at the end of all, there's nobody around to remember the stories of what happened. 
That's a bleak world. That's nihilism. That's what some of the atheists believe. That's really, really bleak, and so we have to invent our own meanings. I think the world has more purpose than all of that. And uh, you know that great civilizations have great epics. The epic of the people of God is the true story of the Bible. It traces the story of every man back from creation through the narrowing to one man, from him a nation, through many generations to his seed, singular, the Messiah who would die for the sins of the world, and through him the invitation is extended to everyone to turn from sin and to return to fellowship with God. This is the epic story that gives significance to our lives. As you think about this week, uh, giving thanks to God, let's remember that the Bible story is our story. And that's, good, that's really good news. Um, he's saved us. He's redeemed us. He placed a double stamp of significance on us, first by creating us in, in his image, and after the image is marred, he bought us back off the auction block. Folks, that's like saying you're worth it enough that not only because I created you do I have value for you, but when you've gone astray, I will search you out and get you back. This came home to me in a, an interesting way. Um, we had our shed broken into, and somebody stole a canopy out of there. And that's, that's, it's not a huge deal, but I think it says something about our day when people will rip off a church, right? So I was at Cabela's one day, and I went into the bargain cave. You don't know what that is. That's the place where they have stuff that's been returned. And I saw what I thought, and I still think, is, was one of our canopies. So I bought it back. I said, hey, that's our canopy. I bought it. At first, it made me a little mad. They came and got money from Cabela's, and then now I've got to pay for it to get it back. And it struck me for a moment in a weird way how unfair that is to have to buy back something that was ours that had been stolen away. But you know, I thought about what Christ did when he redeemed us after that, that he bought back something that was rightfully his. We went astray. We took our lives. We squandered them. And he came back and he bought us back. The story is told in Hosea of Israel, right, through that picture of a wife who ran away from her husband and became enslaved to prostitution. And God tells Hosea, go and buy her off the auction block, his wife. Buy her back. Redemption. It's a beautiful picture of what God does for us. He is our redeemer, and it's a reason to be thankful. When we think about him making us, he created us. We thank him for our existence, and that's also a reason not to be really mad that you exist, is that you owe it to God that you exist. And if he chose to put you here, who's to say that not existing is better than existing? Okay. But not only that, but he redeemed us. He bought us back. He's making us into something that is glorious. C.S. Lewis refers to it as the weight of glory. The weight of glory. There's something glorious that God's trying to do. You've, he says you never met a mere mortal. Everybody you've met is either becoming a creature more hellish or more fit for heaven. You've never met somebody who's a mere mortal. He says, he says kingdoms, empires, they're mortal. But it can, in comparison to the human soul, it's like a gnat's day. Do you understand what I mean by that? That these things that we consider ongoing and forever, like kingdoms that will outlive us in this human life, they're really microscopic in comparison with your eternal existence. You will outlive them. You will outlive America. Do you understand that? You'll outlive this global system. You'll outlive the universe if you're trusting in Christ. That's something to be thankful for. I don't know how you feel today, but if you're depressed after hearing that, let's get with the program. It's good news. Then the Lord is our shepherd. 3B. Notice this. I've got to hurry here. The Lord is our shepherd. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The Revised English Bible, his own people. The flock which he shepherds, his people, and the sheep he pastures in the Bible for everyone. This is talking about his care for us. And you don't have to go far in your biblical memory to remember Psalm 23 that he leads us to green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. He takes care of us. This is not only true of us individually, but it's also true of us collectively. He's a good shepherd. 
who leads us and cares for us as a shepherd cares for the sheep. So you understand that in our lives, we may not always know the logical next step in fulfilling his will for us, but if we'll stay close to him, he'll guide us and lead us as his people. That the Lord as our shepherd ought to be comforting, that he will not let us get too far astray without pulling us back. Anybody ever felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes we're angry about that or resistant to that. But isn't that something uh, akin to when a parent maybe jerks your collar to save you from stepping out into the street and getting run over by a car? Isn't it something like the pain that might be felt at times when we're disciplined by our parents and it hurts, but we realize it was for our good later on? There can be a sting to it, but he's always good in his leading. He is our shepherd. I'd like you to notice in verse 5 that the uh, as we think about these convictions, a first conviction is that he's our maker. A second conviction is he's our shepherd. I'd like to spend more time there, but I can't. The third is that the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Look at verse 5 with me. It says here, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. KJV says, the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. There's different translations. Some say his steadfast love endures forever. His loyal love endures forever. His love is everlasting. His, his faithful love is everlasting. His commitment is permanent. The psalmist here is confident of God's great love. This is sometimes uh, translated as steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word hesed. I'd love for you to say that with me. It's beautiful. Hesed. Hesed. Okay? It's the, it's the covenant love of God. It includes the idea of love and devotion, his faithfulness to a promise or a covenant. And when it's used to describe God, its emphasis is on God's faithfulness to his covenant with his people, his promise to be their God always, to protect them, to take care of them. And it describes his special feeling for his people. In most languages, Bible translators tell us it's difficult to find just a single word which covers every component of his enduring love. Uh, it can be hard to translate. It combines the care or love of a superior to an inferior. You understand what I mean by that? Like, I, I know we wouldn't think in terms of value with this, but when a father cares for his child, you have one of, of superior strength caring for one of inferior strength. Okay, you see, you see what I'm saying there, that this is God's love. And it also includes uh, faithfulness or loyalty, uh, like a love of a father for a child, or always faithful in your love. And so when God says he is showing his hesed, it means something like covenant love. That's a little bit hard in our day, isn't it? Because sometimes the most intimate commitment can be broken. And it happens a lot. And it's sad because what God is promising to us is a covenant kind of love where he's made a promise to us, a promise that he, he will not break. Okay, it's, it's a constant, it's a consistent, and it's a covenant kind of love. When we say that his love is constant, it means that it's always there. This is a constant that means on Tuesdays or Thursdays. I don't know what your sad day is. Anybody have a particular sad day? Usually mine is when I stop to think about on Monday how I preached on Sunday. And kind of melancholy sets in. I wish I had said this. I wish I hadn't said that. And I think about that. And sometimes just coming down from the emotions of it all puts us in a place where we may be vulnerable to sadness. But I'm going to tell you that I don't doubt God's covenant love because it's not based on feelings. Folks, if you have something to be think about, thankful about, it's this, that you may have other people that if you did certain things, they would abandon you and not love you anymore. God will never not love you. That's a double negative. And it's intentional because it means that God's love for you is a constant. It's consistent. Sorry. Yeah, it's constant. The second thing is that his love is consistent, and that means that it will always, it's always the same. Never more, never less. I don't know if that comforts you or that troubles you a little bit. But I think we like to be performance-driven, and we think about, man, what if uh, I had done this? God will love me a little bit more. He loves you, and that's it. 
period. He loves you. He loves you more than anybody has ever loved you. And it's a constant. And when you're bad and you fail him, he loves you. And when you're good, he loves you. Is he pleased with you more when you do good than when you do? Yes, he's pleased with you. That's, that has to do with him recognizing the good traits and the good behaviors that you have. But in terms of his love, it's, it's consistent. It's consistently the same. And you need to know that when you failed him and your tendency is to want to run from him, the thing we need to do is run to him and ask for forgiveness and keep short accounts with him. And then it's covenantal in that, that this love is always personal. It's not a force. God is not a force. God is a person who loves. So when we say he's consistent, our, our loves tend to have this undulation sometimes in certain relationships, right? Like I like you a little more today than I did the other day when you were being kind of rotten. That's not me, but I've heard people are like this. Do you understand what I mean, that we can feel differently about different people? But God's love is a covenantal kind of love that's consistent and personal. And I bet you there are people who have this week wondered about the love of God for them. You might have failed God and wondered if he could still love you, and he does. And you might have fallen into a mood which made you feel that God doesn't love you. He does. It's a love to be thankful for. We didn't initiate this love in God by being lovely. It started in the Father who has loved from the beginning. So he loves us, and he's faithful to that love. His faithfulness, it says, continues in verse 5, the second part of verse 5, through all generations. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Uh, New Jerusalem Bible, his constancy from, is from age to age. Another translation is faithfulness lasts forever. Okay, He's always dependable. And the area, or the idea of generation to generation means that he's dependable for the same kind of goodness which he's always shown. Our current cultural mood is that we don't like some aspects of what God is like. We think of discipline as meanness. Right? Isn't that true even in child rearing that sometimes people have thought that if you discipline your kid or if you ever raise your voice to them that you're being horrible to them like you're going to hurt their fragile psyche and it occurred to me this week that those who are most stable in this life are come from families where the parents discipline them where they weren't so fragile when they came out into the world and had somebody push back against them or yell at them they weren't so fragile they were going to fall apart because already at home their parents taught them that I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to be angry with you at times, but we're going to get over it, and you're still going to have worth and value in this family. Okay, That's that's of utmost value. And so I think in terms of that, sometimes in this culture, we look down on God because he disciplines, and that's viewed as meanness. We've come to that conclusion from a misunderstanding of what people really need. It's kind of taken as self-evident that people need to feel good about themselves when what people really need is to know that they're loved unconditionally, even though we're not always good. The faithful God of Israel is the God we serve today, the loving God who shows himself to be the friend of sinners. He's made himself known in that way, and he's a good God, and there goes all my markers. We're going to wrap up quick, so we'll get those later. He loves us, and he's that kind of God that we can, we can look to and we can trust. A faithful God whose love endures forever. He made us with the purpose of knowing him and sharing in his work. I think as Americans at times, we have a hard time with gratitude. And this is what this text is all about, is about gratitude. And I don't mean that we're never grateful. I think we are, but we have some things which work against us. Uh, first, we have this kind of American celebrity praise that can be fickle. Like one moment you can be the in and the next moment you can be out. We sometimes treat God that way in terms of gratitude. I think American values celebrate the self-made person, as we talked about. This this uh, kind of self-sufficiency is shown in the likes of Bart Simpson and Archie Bunker who pray prayers like, um, thank you, God, for this food, even though you made us buy it ourselves. Right? 
and uh, we feel that maybe we've done all this. To be self-made is to have only ourselves to thank. And then American affluence has led us to mistaking wants for needs so that we feel like we're entitled to all of this. We're entitled to things other generations would have seen as a privilege. Listen, a cell phone is not a need. It's a want. It's a privilege. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? There are some things that we feel like everybody's deserved this, like it's a violation of human rights if they don't have this particular thing. And uh, it's not. It's not. We ought to be grateful for what we get. I think the absence of thankfulness is a sickness of the soul. It's uh, life turned in on itself. And I think it's true of all people, but gratitude is something that we have to be taught. We need to be taught to be grateful. Uh, It's good when parents tell their kids, you need to go say thank you. I think that's good. That's how we learn that. I I can't remember a few times in my childhood where my mom said, I didn't want to go say thanks because I was shy. If you don't say thanks, I'm going to take it away. And then you realize what a privilege the thing you had was. And sometimes I got it taken away because I was stubborn. Can you relate to that? So it's good to learn to be grateful, and that applies not only for gifts at Christmas time, but also in our day-to-day walk with God, that we are the kind of people that show gratitude. Real gratitude pairs with allegiance. It's committed because it recognizes and responds to what God has done. His blessings have not been shallow. We, all, all go- we owe all goodness to him. As maker, we owe him our existence. As shepherd, our purpose. As a covenant friend, we owe him our companionship. That's the right response. When it says, come into his presence, saying this is how you enter. When you come into the presence of God, we need to, be, we need to have that mindset that God is uh, our maker, he's our shepherd, and he's our faithful friend. And uh, to respond to him in the right kind of way. It's our responsibility to do that, and it's our responsibility to teach uh, our kids to do the same thing. I talked to a family yesterday that uh, they're in the process of moving, and uh, they got up in the morning, they find they found that everything that they owned had been stolen. You know, as I was talking, they said to me, we're thankful. We're thankful nobody can take away our walk with God. Nobody has taken away our family. And I, I thought, man, what a great perspective. There was still sadness. Family heirlooms had been taken, things like that. They were getting ready to move to a new city. But there was still a there was still this stability that came from trust in God and knowing that nobody can take away what he's given. And there was a new perspective on what was important to pass on to their kids. It's not just the things. You understand, the more important to pass on to your kids is not stuff, not that they have all the stuff. Because stuff dies. Stuff rusts. Stuff fades away. Stuff gets stolen. The more important thing to pass on is a spiritual legacy, one that recognizes God as the source and that we owe him all gratitude. It changes how we live. Amen? Stand with me if you would. I'm not trying to compel you today, but here's how I thought we might respond. Is I'm going to invite you, if you've got something you're thankful for, to come say it. Okay? Zach might play something softly in the background. But we're not going to sing. This is going to be our praise. So I'm not compelling you. I'm not telling you. Here's an invitation. If you want to give thanks to the Lord, I would just ask that you end with something like, thank you, God, or thank you, Jesus. I just thank the Lord for uh, my family, both my physical family as well as my spiritual family, as well as our uh, freedom that we take for granted so much to be able to come here and praise the Lord we serve. So, um, I thank the Lord for my physical body and also the doctors who can help and do procedures um, to make sure that we're all healthy and can keep living this life so yeah. Thank you, Lord.
Thank the Lord. I want to thank the Lord for my salvation and everything, the love and everything he has shown me. I thank him for everything. Do not like crowds. Um, I just want to thank the Lord for, uh, one, always getting me to somehow come here, though I'm half asleep. Um, and just for me having no plan for moving out. And when I moved out, uh, I found a place to live with my two best friends from high school. I'm safe. I don't have to worry about material things. I have a good job. Um, it's easy to take that for granted because you get so comfortable here. We're very privileged where we are here in America, just with food and stuff. It, you know, it's very stable. Um, so I'm just thankful for that. I'm thankful to God that he is our healer. Um, This year I'll celebrate 11 years cancer-free. And I'm thankful for uh, little Eden that we've been praying for for months and months and months. Um, She just had another set of blood tests, and she is healed in Jesus' name. I thank the Lord for bringing me to this church. When I came here, I had a broken heart and a lot of pain in my life. And God has answered all my prayers and given me joy. I thank the Lord that he watches over my family. And he's been so good to us over the years. Thank you, Jesus. I thank the Lord that um, he's the God of salvation. Salvation that had covered deliverance, freedom, and joy even in our deepest sadness and sorrows. I just praise God for his saving grace. I just want to thank God that um, he has brought me and probably a lot of you um, out of some of the darkest experiences um, and to feel um, the joy that um, I have is sometimes unfathomable because I, at one point I never thought I would feel this way. So I just want to thank the Lord. I want to thank the Lord that he has um, taught me to trust him. He's taught me how to live. and He doesn't give up on me. And, uh, can't tell you how much that means. I'm so thankful to the Lord for his faithfulness and his love.
I thank the Lord for family, that he gives us our natural physical family. I thank him for a husband that not only loves me, but takes really good care of me when I can't take care of myself sometimes. But I really thank God for the family of faith that's always there when we have a need. We can ask for prayer, and they're always there to pray and encourage and lift us up. Thank you, Jesus, for all of these blessings. wait much longer if you want to come say thank you to the Lord and share in your joy with others. It's the time to do it. I'm thankful to the Lord for uh, bringing me out of where I was in this beautiful family I have here. Every one of you for the men I work with and work for. I would have none of this without the Lord. I praise and thank him for that. And thank you all for prayers. I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for my salvation and the hope that I have in the Lord and for his um, faithful provisions over my family. Thank you, Lord. thank God for showing me what a real relationship is, not only with my family, but with him. I, too, want to thank the Lord for salvation and that we have all our hope and peace in him. And as Debbie said, the family of faith and how God's plans are way better than what we could plan for ourselves and how he gives us the wisdom and guidance to follow after the purposes that he has for us and that he has purpose for us. So I thank God for my husband and my pastor and my, my uh, faith family that's here that I would have never known and experienced the great joys with if it hadn't have been for the plans that he had set before us. Man, I almost wish instead of preaching for an hour, I would have let people share testimonies for an hour. That was good. So thanks for being willing to share. God um, encourages us through the writer to Hebrews that we're to continually offer the sacrifice uh, of our lips, the fruit of our lips giving thanks, the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. And I, I can't help but think that he must have Psalm 100 in mind. It's his desire that we come before him. We don't offer sacrifices of animals anymore. The sacrifice that we offer is giving thanks to him. And uh, with those sacrifices, the Bible goes on to say he is pleased. And so I would encourage you today, if you haven't taken time to thank the Lord, do that. He's pleased with our, our sacrifice. This week, as you're, I don't know if you want to do the Thanksgiving thing where everybody goes around and says something they're thankful for. But wouldn't it be great if you did take time somehow to say thank you to the Lord for your salvation? And he sent his son Jesus to die. That's worth thanking him for. He uh, he blesses our life and he watches over us. That's something to be thankful for. He takes care of our needs. It's something to be thankful for. He's made us. He shepherds us. And he cares for us with his unfailing love. Lord, we thank you today that you're such a good God and that you've set your affections on us when you could have let us go the way of all flesh and... and uh, be destined for destruction. Instead, you interrupted that and you brought the offer of salvation to each one of us and we're grateful, Lord. We can know we have a purpose in you. We're grateful for the hope that's in you, for life beyond this life, life beyond the grave, and that there's purpose 
for living. We pray for your help in living out that purpose. And this week, as we take time to say thank you, I pray that you cause that to be contagious and let us announce it to others that we're grateful for what God has done and that they might know you too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.